Hello and welcome back to Roundup for our Mining Stock Daily Roundup Wrap-Up. Today is day three, Wednesday, the 2nd of February. A great pleasure to be joined by Kelsey Rolfe. Hello, Kelsey. Good afternoon. Hey, Paul. How's it going? Very well, thank you. Um, the weather's quite not quite so nice today. It's a little bit colder, perhaps more typical Vancouver uh, January day. Um, but it was still quite warm inside, and a lot of good things going along. Uh, the the exhibition area sort of changed stands. We had a, a new crop of exhibitors today, which was uh, quite interesting. Oh, sounds pretty exciting. And your weather still sounds better than mine. We've got a lot of snow here. Okay. Um, For me, you know, one of the highlights of today was seeing the team from Philo Mining. They had a stand in the core shack and had some some very, very high grade copper core. Uh, Some of the core that sent their stock to $12 a share last year. So it's very interesting, exciting to see that. But, you know, tell me some of uh, some of the things that have happened today that uh, caught your eye and some of the highlights you've seen. Yeah, for sure. So I think probably the best place to start is I I spent a fair bit of time uh, sitting in the gathering place session this morning, I guess it'd be like early afternoon my time. And there were like a couple of fascinating talks from BC and Yukon on agreements that have prioritized indigenous self-reliance and decision-making. And they were both kind of framed as steps toward reconciliation. So I can take you through, through those if you're interested. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So uh, on the the Yukon talk, it really focused on this new registry of Indigenous owned businesses. And it's the result of a government procurement policy that's new and it's meant to significantly boost the number of Indigenous businesses getting government contracts. Industries can use it as well. And uh, it ensures or it's meant to ensure that First Nations in the territory develop economic self-reliance. Um, And so what I thought was notable here is the policy was drafted in complete consultation with the 14 First Nations that are in the territory and in a way that respects the modern treaties that exist for 11 of them. Um, It's just like a a cool, interesting step toward, uh, I guess, like economic reconciliation or just reconciliation generally. No, I I think that's very interesting because uh, one of my perceptions of you know, the situation in Canada and some of the relationships with First Nations, the first, you know, a lot of First Nations seem to be uh, pro-mining and very keen to be able to um, get economic benefit from having mining and exploration activity in their territories beyond what may come out of the impacts and benefits agreements. They actively want to be participants and contractors and things of that, you know, working to help projects advance. Yeah, I don't know if I can like speak confidently for all of them. I'm sure the um, opinion is divided, but I think we certainly seem to see at at these conferences, indigenous um, nations who are really interested in being involved. Um, I think that is kind of a good segue to the other presentation that I had wanted to touch on. Um, It it really charted the evolution of the relationship between uh, the government of BC actually and the Taltan Nation. And the Taltan Nation has uh, like their traditional territory is one of the most active hard rock mining jurisdictions in the province. So this is kind of a, a relevant area for a lot of miners. So the the transition that they charted was this uh, going from the province not really recognizing their rights and territory to eventually getting to a point where now they're developing land use plans that are actually being led by the Taltan. Um, They're also negotiating this agreement that will integrate the Taltan nation's consent and their decision making into environmental assessment process, uh, specifically for Skeena's Eskay Creek project. And I expect that will probably extend to other future projects in the territory or in their traditional territories. So that's something for mining companies to keep an eye on and and mineral exploration companies. 
And it's uh, what was really interesting there is that agreement will eventually see Taltian decisions become judicially reviewable, like a government or a regulator, if I'm understanding correctly. So it's it's a real, I don't know if I can say that it's specifically like nation to nation, but it is viewing um, this indigenous nation as like a form of government, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, that's obviously key. And there are certain sort of self-government provisions in, in the relationship between Canada and the First Nations. So it's encouraging to see that sort of perhaps taking, you know, further steps forward. Mm -hmm. um, so the other sections that I had wanted to highlight that I thought were really interesting, I, I popped into the uh, precious and base metals sections today, which is, you know, a far cry from the gathering place, but still uh, really interesting on their own. Um, and so there was a, an interesting presentation from Troilus Gold. They did some exploration, they had some exploration success at their project in Ontario. And that was previously like an operation from the 90s up till 2010, primarily as a copper mine. And so uh, this, this talk was really like the, the VP of exploration kind of highlighting how they are coming into this brownfield site and try to show that there's still life in an old mine. And that really involved approaching exploration differently than the previous owner. And so they're kind of able to do that just because they're a gold company and they're, they're going to have to approach exploration differently anyway than a, you know, a base metal company. Um, but they'd also been rethinking the geology and they're moving away from a porphyry model to a metamorphic one. This is something that's a bit above my head, but I'm sure that other uh, attendees will understand that. Um, you know, if you're a person with more geology knowledge, that's maybe something you wanted to want to do a replay of if you missed it. I sat through that presentation as well, and I think it was quite um, <laughs> um, noticeable. I, th I think they started off. I think they said they started off with eight thousand or ten thousand hectares, and now they've obviously liked what they saw, and they've now got I think uh, one hundred forty thousand hectares, and pretty much they've got a whole district, or between them and I think that he said Canorland, um, they've got this whole district to the north of the Abitibi. Yeah, it, I think they were talking about it as, as being a potentially a future camp, which is is really interesting. So something to to keep watch of. And I don't know about you, but like I, I certainly noticed that that session and a bunch of others are really like people are highlighting their projects like ESG bona fides and you know the value of them in the, the future low carbon economy. So that's been an interesting theme throughout as well. Absolutely. Okay, I, I, I perhaps jumped the gun a little bit earlier <laughs> when we started talking by sort of telling you my favorite moment of the day. What was your favorite moment of the day, Kelsey? Oh, um, you know, this interesting, like, I don't know if it's like, all of the ones that I've been describing have been really interesting and highlights for me, but I was enjoying this poster, actually, that I was reading uh, from a group of PhD students at UBC, and they're looking at the potential of microbial communities and exploring for commodities that are kind of underneath about two meters of surficial material. And so this is something like I'm a journalist, I'm not uh, an expert in microbes, but so this is my understanding. Uh, microbial communities, they kind of reflect in or influenced by the chemical and physical properties of the geology they're connected to. So what the um, the abstract uh, connected to this is saying is that there's potential to like DNA sequence these microbes and to understand what's underneath the, the surface based on that. So, you know, essentially in this case, the, the bugs are a feature. <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, in, in certain aspects, particularly, for example, copper, um, biolixivation using microbes to basically, dis, you know, eat the copper or dissolve it or get it out of the rock. Um, it's something that's been under investigation for a long, long period of time. And 
um, you know, this is potentially some of the, the technologies that ultimately result in uh, being able to extract metals without moving huge amounts of rock. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of funny that in the, both of those cases, it's not even really like high tech. It's just like going back to basics, like getting into the into the bugs and the bacteria. And this is what is eventually going to save us from the being drowned in plastic as well, finding bugs that can uh, digest those. <laughs> Fingers crossed for that. Excellent. Well, it sounds like you had a, a very exciting and productive day, Kelsey. Thank you very much for sharing that with us today. And uh, join us again tomorrow for our final roundup wrap up on day four. Absolutely. Will do. See you back here tomorrow. Thanks, Kelsey. Thanks. Hello and welcome back and uh, for our second part of the Roundup wrap up on day three, Wednesday, the 2nd of February. And for this, I am joined by Sean Ennis, Vice President of Mining at Stantec. Good afternoon, Sean. Hey, good afternoon, Paul. Great, uh, great to join you here. Well, thank you very much. Uh, let's start off, Sean, with a, a brief one-liner or so about uh, who Stantec is and what Stantec does. Oh, Stantec, yeah. One of the larger, I guess, engineering and design firms in, in Canada cover a whole range of industries, uh, architectural design, urban infrastructure, uh, with also a very strong uh, mining and energy and resources team. And I'm part of the uh, mining metals and minerals team uh, based out of Stantec Vancouver office. Well, thank you, Sean. Now, our topic of discussion today is net zero or net zero mining, um, not, not zero impact mining as uh, <laughs> came through in poorly translated uh, email. But uh, the net, net zero is obviously talking about carbon footprint and carbon impact and things of that nature, e emissions in general, greenhouse gas emissions. Um, let, let's start. Why is this a, a, a big thing for the mining sector now and over in the past 12 months or so? I think I think it's been, as, as you say, the focus in terms of the greenhouse gases and carbon emissions and just general uh, energy uses has become more and more important. Uh, you know, for society in general, but and in the mining industry in particular, and, and what we've seen at Stantec and why we've really wanted to focus on it, obviously, um, and not just within mining, but as I say, across a wider spectrum, but really in the where we think we can help the mining industry is, is is really helping our clients move forward with you know meeting their their net zero targets, um, and it's been it is it's a it's also a term that has you know become more popular as you say more recently uh, putting it there, but it. it covers a, a wide range of things. I think we, we, he, we hear net zero and it, it can be almost used in the sense of well, what does that mean? It's, it, uh, you know, it, it can be so general. And so what we like to do when, when we're talking about it is kind of you know, work with our clients and when we're talking with you know, stakeholders, First Nations and others that you know, obviously interact with the mining industry is sort of say, well, well here's what we mean by that. And there's, as you say, there's the, there's the piece about the, re the reduction in the carbon footprint and the greenhouse greenhouse gas generation, but we also want to look at it, well, what at the replacing it, you, you want to reduce, you want to find efficiencies, obviously, but the other piece is, well, what are you going to replace it with? And, that, and that's where we, you know, we hear a lot of talk about the, you know, the different technologies that are out there in terms of renewables, the battery electric vehicles, and a lot of the kind of the fun things and the interesting things that people have been talking about at, at Roundup for the last few days. And, and then the other component too, and, and we can't lose sight of this is, you know, are, are we ready? And and that goes both in terms of is the technology that we're starting to look at, is it ready for use? Is it something that, you know, mining by its nature, like, can I use it? 
or is, is it maybe a little further out there that might be a future seeking goal for a client? And, and at the same time, when we're talking to, to clients or people that are looking at developing a mine is, is are they ready for it? You know, are have they started to like, what does it really mean to, to talk about net zero and what it, what it means for your site, for your, for the development of, of your property and, and just even for the culture, culture of the company to kind of embrace what, what it all means. Cause it can be quite uh, quite broad ranging and it, it, it's an ambitious, it's an ambitious target for sure. In terms of, uh, sort of net zero goals, many miners, all the big miners and a lot of the mid-sized miners have you know, put out net zero goals with a target date of 2030, 2040, 2050, depending upon what kind of mining or metals they do and their locations. Um, and some of the, the the earliest targets have been looking at the, their energy matrix, um, getting, uh, you know, switching to renewable energy has been one of the uh, early, early, uh, early ways of working towards this goal. But uh, uh, from my understanding that the real challenge is um, decarbonizing the actual mining operations um, and principally uh, taking out the sort of diesel fleet and looking for some other, other, other kind of energy source for, for, your, for your mobile fleet. That's one of the big emissions factors, yeah? Yeah, I, I think that's that's definitely a part of it. And as I said, there it, it's it's one of the the areas that folks like to kind of zoom in on, if you will. Um, but I don't think it's the only piece. Like I mean, uh, as I say, we get a lot of attention and sort of net zero means oh, it means okay, battery electric vehicles, and I got to put solar panels in. And and yes, that could be part of it, as you say, the decarbonization, moving away from the diesel. Um, but there are also opportunities that we see in changing. You know. Um, maybe how your mining strategy in terms of, you know, looking at, well, can I mine with less waste, you know, just use less energy overall? Can I change things or, you know, change some things within my process plant or my infrastructure that, you know, even just reduce the amount of electricity I use? Again, so the, the less energy. So I think, as you say, I think the diesel is kind of a big piece of it. And that's, you know, that's a, a kind of almost that, that obvious one. But there are, I think there's a lot more parts all through the mining cycle that we can we can look at to really reduce, as you say, to decarbonize and reduce that energy usage. Um, so I think, yeah. So I, I definitely think it it is it has quite a wide scope, and that's something we like to talk to our clients about to say, well, don't just focus on the the diesel piece of it for sure. I mean, it sounds like in many ways that this is a, a a more holistic way of looking at mining because um, I, I guess traditionally it's all been about moving as many tons as you can for as low cost per ton as you can, and, and that's it. Uh, but now, with all these other considerations, as you say, you're having to sort of look into, it's not just about uh, taking your diesel fleet out, it's perhaps looking at how you can process more efficiently, and potentially that, I imagine, you could have greater recovery there, um, or, or you know, spreading your emissions over a greater product, a uh, greater amount of product will, will reduce your emissions as well. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we and we and we do see it as again as you, the holistic is an excellent word for it because we also see this as some of the things that we look at when we're talking about a, a net zero for the mine also have say benefits if we're talking with the community with the First Nations with stakeholders for for example we talk a lot about the renewables infrastructure well if you if you say well I've I've got a site we'll pick an example say we're in South America where solar power is a viable option for energy storage well. You know that you install that solar power, and we have clients that are looking is to say, well, you don't have to pull that solar power array out when the mine is done. That could provide renewable energy to the community long after the mine is finished. So we start to see some of these things that are help a company reach its net zero goal, but it also helps with 
hey, if, if this is sustainability, this helps you know, communi the community have a valuable uh, resource or uh, infrastructure after you're done. So I think, again, if we, if we step back and we look at some, what, some of the wider implications of what net zero means, there can be a lot of benefits beyond just the, you know, that decarbonization goal. Thank you, Sean. Um, I, I, I think it was very interesting, some of your introductory comments. You know, one of the, the, the rhetorical questions you posed is, you know, are, are we ready? What, what, what would you mean by that? And, and why, why, you know, everybody seems uh, to have goals of getting to net zero. So, you know, one would assume is ready mentally and want to take those steps or those leaps. Um, but what, what is at the basis of the question? Are we ready? I, I think when we look at that and again i think a lot of times the industry is there but we do want to i think we want to be careful of as an industry saying oh we're net zero i need more of that i, I like net zero i want i said like again is it are, are we ready for what that can mean and sometimes that can mean as, as we talked about well maybe i don't look at maximum throughput i look at what's the best value i can get that I can get within a sort of meeting of renewables or within the constraints of a decarbonized mine footprint. So maybe it's not the maximum production, but what help meets you know what helps me meet my goals. And again, that's a bit of a a mind shift, if you will, for for the traditional. Well, my NPV, my net present value looks better if I you know instead of at 100,000 tons a day, I go to 150. Um, but I think again, if we look at sort of the holistically, it says well maybe your best mine in terms of environmental footprint meeting your commitments and still generating value maybe that is the 90,000 ton a day because that's a mine that not only makes you money but also gets permitted and gets the community and the first nations to accept it so again i, I think there's a bit of the we have to some of the traditional ways that we you know set the metrics and the valuation for mine development we have we have to step back and again think a little broader about what what overall are, is our goal here when we start to talk about things like net zero Thank you. Uh, so, so is that where sort of Stantec really comes into, into the equation? You know, you sit down with the miners, you sort of talk about what the current options are, you talk about what some of the options coming over the horizon are that they may be able to benefit from, and you fold in these other, other considerations, you know, project economics, of course, but also how, how the different options may impact um, relations with communities and um, how appealing or not a mining operation could be to communities and regulators, et cetera. And all, yeah, all I, I, I do. I see I see ourselves definitely having a valuable role as part of that. But, you know, I also, uh, I mean, I, I'll fully admit yeah, there are, you know, the equipment vendors that are out there, the different providers of different technologies. So it's definitely something we feel we can we can help bring value to our clients. But there are also a lot of players. I mean, the, 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 you know, the challenge of it and the things we need to deal with is, is so large that there's going to be a lot of parties at the table to help the industry kind of work towards these, as you said, very ambitious goals here that we've set for ourselves and, and that I think we can meet, but they, they are ambitious. Well, thank you, Sean. I mean, it's certainly uh, I think everybody will agree that the right thing to do, the correct thing to do, and people are happy that uh, mining companies are actively engaging with this and, and looking to deliver on this. So it's definitely something that's very, very worthwhile. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, Paul. It's, it's, it's an exciting time to be in the industry with all the changes we're seeing. So as I say, I th definitely think the industry is up for it. And, and like I say, enjoy, enjoy being part of that. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Sean. Sean Ennis, uh, Vice President Mining at Stantec. And that's the end of our AME Roundup wrap-up for day three. Join us for more tomorrow.